Isn't it good to be alive today? Isn't it good to be a part of God's redemptive creation? He's brought us to this place to, re, to be revived and to praise his name. Now, I must admit to you today uh, that after two sermons uh, and after uh, a stint yesterday in Sumter and didn't, not arriving home until late last night, I was tempted to call Pastor Faye. that much and as I cared for my mother and my father uh, my mother has been sick for a number of months and of course had an episode yesterday and I had to run to Sumter and didn't get home until late and as I drove in that little man or woman that sits on your shoulder says Ed call Faye She'll do it. <laughs> and of course, as I got closer and as it got later, uh, I was tempted to call. And then I thought with Faye being so gracious and so kind every day and every time, uh, I changed my mind and decided to get home, get situated and sort of think through what I needed to further think through what I needed to say today. So I decided to do that, and I'm sure Faye was very happy <laughs> that I didn't do that. Diffusing duplicity. Diffusing duplicity. The Fixer Upper series has allowed us to look very personally and genuinely into ourselves, to etch out our foundation, to prepare and to repair that which has been broken and damaged. This series gives us an opportunity to look at our curb appeal the exterior, but also looking inside to see exactly what God is calling us to be and to do. That curb appeal, so pleasant, looks good, but it also gives evidence of perhaps what's on the inside. If it's pretty on the outside, it ought to be Gorgeous on the inside, amen? There ought to be something on the inside that moves and turns and turns within our being that forces us and allows us to see the beauty on the inside. Duplicity, that notion, that hypocritical, <laughs> that notion that says to us there is or could perhaps be a deceptive notion in us that causes us and may cause us some issues. These verses of scripture that I read to you this morning, Jesus confronts 
the Pharisees and the scribes. He says to them, you got an exaggerated sense of importance <coughs> about yourself. You look good. You smell good. But there is something on the inside that doesn't feel good. You got more religion than you got spirit. That ought to be something Jesus says. You ought to be warned that your legalism and the legalistic part of your sojourn as a Pharisee has to be tested because we aren't legal persons. We are persons who are persons with compassionate hearts. Amen. Persons who feel and sense the wonderment of God as he moves in us and through us. The Pharisees hardened. Legal scholars says to them, just soften up a little bit and just do the rules. Do the rules. I think you know, my brothers and sisters, the Pharisees were the lay leaders of the church. The scribes were just those groups of persons who tried to understand the interpretation of the Torah. And sometimes they got it all messed up. My brothers and sisters, back in 1970 of sort, uh, Bradley Automotives put together a kit for a Volkswagen. It was made out of fiberglass. And once you put that kit on that Volkswagen, it became showroom perfect. One of my buddies, I don't know how, when we were at Claflin, I don't know how he got the money to do it, but he bought one of those kits. Masking tape, duct tape, and all. And he put that kit together. And when he finally drove it up on campus, here was that old Volkswagen where this Bradley kit had been assembled on its body. God, it was beautiful. The ladies were enthralled. Let me ride from a distance. Because the further you look, it was gorgeous. Absolutely a new car. And then they decided to walk off on it and gaze over into the window. There was a hole in the floor. The knob on the, uh, the steer gear shift was about that large. 
There was papers and everything thrown about. It looked good, but on the inside, it was all torn up. You know, we hear a lot today about this millennial generation's expectations, especially of the church, because I seem to think that authenticity is essential not only for today, but for every generation. And of course, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to genuinely and authentically follow Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen. We ought to authentically, genuinely follow Jesus. Authenticity honors Jesus, hypocrisy, laziness, etc., dishonors him. Authenticity attracts folk. Didn't Jesus say in John 12, 32, and, in, and, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Authenticity opens up the door of salvation for others. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was uh, on Millwood pumping gas on my way here, actually. And I stopped to get some gas. And of course, as I was pumping the gas, a gentleman approached my car. And he said, sir, can I have a word with you? And I said, of course. He says, uh, can you give me a piece of money? I need to walk across to the McDonald's and get me something to eat. And of course, I'm a big giver. I'm a Christian. I reached in my pocket and gave him $5. And of course, as I gave him that $5, he began to reach in his pocket, pull out his wallet, and as he pulled out his wallet, he opened it, and nature made me look down into the wallet. <laughs> and there was a piece of money. He took that piece of money, I thought, he took it, and he gave it to me, he gave me this. It's a million dollar bill. And before I discovered that it was a million dollar bill, I said, no man, you don't have to give that to me, keep that. And I said to myself, well, maybe I should have given more. And he gave me this bill. And he asked me this. He said, sir, he didn't know I was a preacher. He said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Amen. Got to be careful who you meet. You never know when there are angels unaware. Amen. He says, do you know Jesus? And I said, of course I know Jesus. He woke me up this morning. <laughs> Started me on my way. Do you know Jesus? And I said, yes, sir. And I grabbed the bill, a million dollar bill. I can pay our mortgage off and have a little comfort, you know. And then I opened it up and there were words written on it. And those words simply says, said, if you believe the Lord and Savior as your personal Savior, he will heal your hurts, deliver you from your sin, and save you. It also says on here, 
Love me like you want to love me, not like I think you ought to love me. And then finally it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's authentic. Here I am, a preacher. And this, this man, this man took my authenticity and enlarged it. Amen. I drove down, this, drove down on my way here. The soda was good and cold. By the time I got here, it already warmed up because I knew that in God's own way, in God's own time, God does what he wants to do. Authenticity. He debunked, debunked duplicity. God saves us where we are. He blesses us where we are. The Pharisees wanted Moses' seat. They wanted a seat of power and authority. They wanted to be the big wheels. And you know, if there's a big wheel, there's got to be a little wheel somewhere. They wanted to be the big wheels. They wanted to shine. They wanted to do the things. But the Pharisees were legalistic because they placed heavy burdens on the backs of the people. Just imagine if someone put a knapsack loaded with heavy objects and heavy items, tied them outside. Then the people were to pick those heavy items up and be joyous in picking them up. <sighs> Have you ever been in a place and you felt as if you were so heavy laden? Didn't know how you were going to make it? You felt duplistic in nature? You could not feel the awesome presence of God moving in your life? And then suddenly, then suddenly, the load got lighter. Then suddenly, you were able to sense and to feel God's power in your life. Suddenly, your weakness became strength. Your discomfort became comfort. Can you imagine how God is able to take the heaviness of burdens and take them and move them in, the, in a place that old song say, says, take your burdens to the Lord and do what? Come on now. Come on now. Leave them there. And when you leave them there, what happens? You smile. And the world smiles back at you. God embraces you with a kind of love, with a kind of determination that's able to heal our hurts. Heavy burdens. We are not. The Pharisees wanted a rule instituted church. They didn't want a church that was spontaneous and praiseful and alive. They wanted something where you had to sit a certain way and dress a certain way and look a certain way. You don't praise God looking mad. 
I woke up this morning. I wasn't mad, but I was certainly joyous that he got me up this morning. Got me up this morning. Every now and then, we got to, we got to, the church has got to express a spontaneous arousal that takes place in church to let the world know that we aren't by ourselves. Something, something has to break loose within the confines of the church that we say to the church every now and then, it's all right to raise your hands and say hallelujah. It's all right to raise your hands and say Thank you, Lord. A man rushed up in a little church on the other side of the hill. And on the other side of the hill, he was used to standing up, waving his hands every now and then and praising God. And he decided to come to the big city, whether it's Columbia, Charlotte, Atlanta, or Lexington. And they came to the big city, and he sat in that congregation that morning. And as he sat there, that choir was bellering, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That song hit him so, so passionately that he stood up, waved his hands, said, thank you, Lord. That dutifully trained usher tipped over to him. Come on, you with me? <laughs> tipped over to him and said, Sir, we don't do that in the United Methodist Church. <laughs> but the choir didn't turn him loose. The choir kept singing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. He stood up again and simply shouted out, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my journey. <laughs> Sir, we don't do that in our church. This is the United Methodist Church. Sat down. The quiet would not turn him loose. They kept singing, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know, I know he'll make a way for me. He stood up, grabbed the back of the pew, and just started shouting right there, praising God. The usher came up to him and said, sir, we don't, we don't do that in, in here, in our church. The guy stopped short long enough in his shout and in his praise to simply say, ma'am, you may not do it in here, but I didn't get it in here. <laughs> Every now and then, we've got to thank 
God for what he's done for us. Every now and then, we've got to raise our hands, lift our voices, sing a song, and say, I'm going to fix up the inside of my building so that when I stand up, when I fess up, when I sing up, when I shout up, God blesses me and restores me. There is something that Jesus says to them. Your words are hardened and harsh. You've got to change the way your head thinks and allow your heart to speak. Samuel Clement, better known as Mark Twain, uh, attended a Sunday, a Sunday a.m. service, and at the end of the service, uh, Clement met the pastor at the church at the door, and he said to the preacher, that sermon you just preached, I've got a book that's got every word in it. The preacher in astonishment cried out, what? I've spent 40 hours working on this sermon. This is an original. Clement still held his position. The pastor wanted to see that book, that book perhaps of sermons. And of course, that next day, he brought the book, left it with the secretary, and what was written on the flyleaf were these words, words, just words, words without action of no value to us to hear today. If we are going to diffuse duplicity in this world of ours, words without action is of no value. James 2, 18, 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. There's nowhere in scripture where it says, Joe, I got to like you to get to heaven. Come on now. Someone will say, nowhere in Scripture it says, Donald, that I got to like you to get to heaven. You may not like me, but guess what? <laughs> you got to love me to get to heaven. There's a love attitude and a love environment that allows us to bridge the gap. There is a love dimension that simply says, I ain't got to like you. I may fall out with you. But when I die, I want to go to heaven because I want to love you before it's all over. There is something about words. You've got to be careful with words. Words can do harm. Words can condemn and commend. How do we diffuse 
duplexity. How do we diffuse it? This is a beautiful setup, isn't it? And I wish the kids had sung about two more songs. We could have earlier pronounced a benediction and gone home. <laughs> How do you diffuse duplexity? You build a bridge of hope. Not hopelessness, but hope. You build a bridge of hope that you're able to cross when times get tough. You're able to walk across this bridge when you find yourself despondent and disillusioned. You walk across this bridge of hope that gives us volumes of testimonies to simply say, I serve a risen Savior. You diffuse duplicity when you're able to walk creating bridges of hope authentically because what really happens, they did this just for me. When, duplex, when duplicity sits down, when duplicity causes us hurt, harm, when duplicity causes our songs to be muted, when duplicity causes us not to give praise to God. Authenticity causes us to do what? Stand up boldly in the face of opposition. Causes us to stand up and sing with uplifted voices. And are we soldiers of the cross? Secondly, how do we diffuse duplicity? We build bridges, not only build bridges, but we discover that there are some hidden treasures. Look here. Supposing these were real pearls, and that was a million dollar bill that I had. I say, bye. <laughs> Hidden treasures, hidden treasures. Each of us have inside of us treasures that God has given to us individually. 1 Corinthians 6.20 simply says, we've been what? Bought with a price. What's that price? He hung on a cross. He died for us so that the demons of duplicity did not have an opportunity to steal our joy, our peace, and help us to create a new song of Zion. Now, I must admit to you, and I've made several admissions today, but I must admit to you today that even in my own, even being a preacher, 40 plus years, well, still I am, 40 plus years, 
God continued, continued to help me to discover hidden treasures of faith and possibilities. And then finally, in order to diffuse duplicity, we've got to trust, trust, and obey. You trust me. I trust you. God trusts us. Have you ever been in a situation where you doubted whether or not God was with you? Have you ever been to a hospital and there were bad news and you just trusted God for the answer? Have you ever been at school and you were cramming for that exam and you simply said, Lord, I trust you. Help me get a C. And God in his own way answered your prayers. But not only do we need to trust him, we need to obey him. And the Pharisees couldn't do that. We need to trust him and obey him. There's no other way. If you want to be happy in Jesus, you got to trust him and obey him. I got up this morning, and God was at his best. I could feel a presence as a warmth unto my breast. I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? He says, come, go, my son, and I'll go with you. I'm tattered, and I'm tired, and I'm worn. He says, I'll go with you. Have you ever had to shed tears for someone whom you loved and you didn't know where they were coming from, but you knew that God was still on the throne? You got to trust him. Trust in him without duplicity and allow the winds of the spirit to bloom and to blossom. Perhaps there is someone in this room today, like me, struggling with a parent's illness, praying that God might move in my mama's life. But perhaps there's someone in this room today, and you're faced with the same dilemma, and you're struggling, trying to find an answer. Maybe there's healing for your internal. And you simply, you're simply asking, Lord, I look good here, out here. But my inside needs some straightening up. He says, just come and ask. Maybe there's someone in this room today and you simply asked that person who could not come to church today. They ask you to remember them in prayer. God is able to change our duplistic situations into opportunities.
for growth. Maybe you want to come and join me in a word of prayer. I need prayer today, and I'm sure there are folk in this congregation who need prayer. If you'd like to come and join me, we have prayer ushers here. But perhaps all of us ought to come this morning. Perhaps all of us ought to come and allow God's presence to touch us, our church, and our world. Would you like to come? You don't have to, but you can. You can. (laughs) 